Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Jared Wilson to the podcast. Jared serves as assistant professor of pastoral ministry, author and resident, and general editor of For the Church here at Midwestern Seminary. He's an accomplished author, having published many works, both fiction and nonfiction, including Echo Island, The Gospel Driven Church, and The Imperfect Disciple. Jared, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Thanks so much, Dr. Allen. It's good to be with you again. Hey, it's good to be in the studio today. Uh, we're, we're here. Today's Wednesday, January 19th. The spring semester's underway. Classes are being taught, convocations yeah. next week. And so so we're back in the rhythm of things. So far, yeah. My, my first class is tomorrow morning, so I'm excited to get in the room, you know, chop it up with the guys. But that's when things really start uh, that's right. rolling that's for I, me is when you can see the faces. You know? That's right. That's, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, Jared, uh, before we get into the meat of the conversation, today we'll be talking about uh, managing conflict in ministry. And uh, the prompt for that is many things, not to mention, uh, not the least of which is COVID-19 and the challenges it's presented so many pastors the past couple of years. But before we get to that, uh, talking about mundanities, uh, if you're not offended by me labeling this a mundanity, so are you like bummed because your Patriots lost or excited <laughs> because Brady is still, still, still in it or off, what? It's a good offset. It's a good mitigating factor. So, you know, I didn't think the Patriots were going to survive round one. They just didn't look playoff ready anyway. But they are my number one team. But yeah, having Brady still in it, I, it, it, it's, you know, it's better than him not being in it, right? So it's a, it's, it's a mitigation for me. It's a consolation for me. Yeah, I'll tell you, it, it is um, fascinating to watch Brady. It's amazing what it he's accomplished. Ama- again, yeah. he, he's he's my age, kind of <laughs> right. our age, and yeah, it's, yeah. it's like I, we we're joking with my kids over the weekend because I've been saying for years, like Brady is one sack away from retirement. You know, and <laughs> right, I, but every quarterback is. Dr. That's Allen. right, every quarterback <laughs> is. But I admitted my state with my kids uh, during the playoff game. I said he's not one sack away from retirement. He's one sack away from assisted living, <laughs> you know, but, Maybe. uh, and I'm not a hater. I'm really not. I, I, I've never been a Brady slash Patriots fan per se, but I do appreciate seeing excellence in any area of life. Yeah. And whether it's Tiger Woods on golf back 20 years ago, or, you know, Michael Jordan or, or Tom Brady, it's just something to watch. And the yeah. fact that the guy is you know approaching 25 years in the NFL performing at this level in some ways this year, Maybe his statistically best year ever, or right at the top. Yeah, he's leading the league in rush, uh, in passing yards and 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 other categories as well. He's in the running for the MVP, and he's he's forty four years old. Right. So if you know if you break down his his uh, career, or, or you know twenties, thirties, and forties, it's almost symmetrical what That's he's right. accomplished right. in each of those you know segments. Well, and and we'll move on here momentarily, but but it, <laughs> we it, could do the whole thing. Right. That's right. Yeah, okay. about Brady. <laughs> uh, no, well, it, it is. You know, you, you watch these quarterback over the years in instances like a Peyton Manning, who 10 years ago was yeah. comparable. And, man, their arms just tend to, like, die in their late 30s. You know, some guys can push through a little further, Drew Brees, whatnot, you know, a, a little older and still perform well, late 30s, you know, hitting 40. But, I mean, his arm and just the performance, it, it, it is like you're looking at someone 15 years younger yeah. out there. The, the zip on the ball, the, the, the distance he has on it, all the question marks that we had, you know, have had over the last three or four years. And they've been, you know, there's been um, all these hot takes over the last, you know, even, with, you know, back when he was with New England, when he has a couple of bad games in a row, mm-hmm. that this is it. He's fallen off the cliff. So every time they write the little, you know, moratorium on him or whatever it right. is, he just bounces back. I think he uses that somehow as, yeah. a, as a means of, of motivation, I think. Yeah, it has to be. He'll and- manufacture it. I, I've heard him, you know. On the state, you know, it was uh, one of the victory parades after Super Bowl, you know, in 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 Boston, where he's talking about the haters, you know, and 
And people are like, what haters? <laughs> He's making them up now. He needs them, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> hey, but again, he loves doing it. He's doing it at such a high level. I was, I mean, it's like, can he be 50 years old doing this? I mean, if you got good pass protection, your arm's strong, you still got the fire, you're winning. Yeah. I mean, no one's going to be in a hurry to move him out. Well, you know? and I know he takes a bad rap for this, but if they increasingly continue to baby quarterbacks, that they, yeah. you know, you see some of the calls, not just on him. Right, but, right, you know, right. these other, you know, roughing the passer calls on other quarterbacks where you're kind of like, ah, was that really, is that, was that low? Was that, you know, if they keep protecting the quarterbacks in general, it, it seems like as long as he can keep up, you know, his um, athleticism, yeah. who knows how far he goes. Yeah, the last comment before you move on, <laughs> I, I was visiting with Sam Beard yesterday, our mutual friend and colleague, and they were talking about Brady. I said, the thing that's amazing is, you know, he's like 20 years older than Mahomes. And you think if Mahomes could have longevity akin to Brady, yeah. you know, that's a big if. Yeah. But if he could, it's like, I could be in my mid-60s. And still watch this guy. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. And conceivably, you know, this guy, Mahomes, could, like, for another 20 years have the Chiefs relevant. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, as you know, in the NFL, there are so few quarterbacks on the planet that actually can compete at a high level, yeah. playoff level for their team year after year. You know, the Aaron Rodgers, a handful of these guys, Tom Brady can do it. And it's like, okay, if Mahomes is one of six guys or eight guys or 12 guys who can do that and he stays healthy, I mean, like my whole like adult life, you know, <laughs> that's right. Could be favorable. Yeah. Could be favorable as it relates to the NFL, the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, so well, that's how I feel about Brady. Actually, that's right. I've been following him since his second year in the in the league. So, all right. So we're going to talk about managing conflict in ministry today. And uh, look, uh, I'm from Deep South, Alabama, Auburn. Uh, that, that's football. <laughs> that's some conflict in ministry from time to time. <laughs> but but really, what occasions the conversation today is we now we're in January 2022. And uh, the past couple of years especially have been complicated, challenging for churches, uh, COVID, and, and not just do we you know, require masks or not, how strongly do we encourage vaccination or not, but all the different complications it's brought. And, uh, and, and, and many pastors, uh, many churches uh, are experiencing conflict. And not just over that. There are always the, you know, the, the issues, whether it's you know, what type of music we sing to how do we govern ourselves with you know, congregational elders, something in between, et cetera, et cetera. And so I know this is something you think about, you reflect on. Uh, you and I both love pastors. And so today we're talking about conflict in ministry and how we might encourage pastors who are experiencing some of that. So let me go back and ask you to go back to your own pastoral ministry experience uh, where you served for many years before coming to Midwestern Seminary. I, I guess when you look back kind of autobiographically, what have you seen slash experienced slash perceived about conflict in ministry in the local church? Yeah, well— I think the first thing I would say is it's inevitable and in some ways normal. I mean, it's abnormal because of the fall is abnormal, but it's normal because of the fall. Um, anytime you're dealing with people and, uh, you know, even a substantive group of people, you don't even need that many. Whenever you have, you know, sinners in close proximity, inevitably you're going to have conflict. So what's interesting is how often pastors act as if, you know, like, you know, Peter says, something strange is happening when this occurs. Right. And of course, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. It's, uh, it can be a threat to gospel unity. Um, you know, there's, you know, all the negative things you can say about it. But one of the things that we have to acknowledge is this kind of comes with the territory, right? When Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, we should assume also in the church, we will have trouble. There's not, um, you know, a letter, you know, there's a, uh, um, you know, hardly a letter from Paul where he's not addressing some kind of threat to the church or some, you know, some sort of fracture line against their unity, some sort of conflict. And so I think if we could adjust to the reality that um, this just comes with the territory, we would be less on our heels, I think, when it occurs and, 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 and act as if it's some anomaly to existence. 
Right. And look, it, it can be traumatic, especially yeah. if you're a younger man pastoring and you haven't been through 14 church fights or four church fights or, or eight church fights. Right. And you, you know, you're trying to right-size this. Is this like one difficult person or is this representative of, of a church as a whole, a congregation yeah. at large that's frustrated with me? How do you process yeah. Well, it's things? even more difficult, I think, for younger pastors or newer pastors, I guess I should say, um, because there's that honeymoon phase mm-hmm. that makes the arrival of conflict or the exposure of conflict that much more jarring, right? You, you come in, you're cute, your wife's cute, your kids are cute, everything's Newborn great. Yeah. You're the new, you know, you're the new guy. And, and there's a, you know, a honeymoon phase that if you're, you know, blessed may last three or four years, something like that. Um, you know, for some guys, it's a lot, it's a lot shorter right, than right. that. Three or four years, yeah. <laughs> but for many, you know, it's three or four years, but usually around year five to year seven, somewhere in there becomes, you know, sort of the first major crisis. And, yeah. you know, church by church is different, but something happens that just disrupts that sort of, you know, the honeymoon is over. Things get real. They know who you are. You know who they are. And, and now things actually become authentic in the life of the church. And so I think, you know, the seasoned pastor or the older pastor who's been around the block a few times, they're not shocked when it happens. They, they can still be saddened and they can still be discouraged and, and sometimes even depressed, I suppose. But they're less sort of taken by surprise by these things um, than I think the newer pastor because, because of that. Everything's so rosy and peachy and then something happens and it, and it, and it just feels so much more jarring, I think. Yeah, and the you know at times there's a predictability. Like if there's some naughty issue in the church or yeah. some sin that you're having to confront, and you're you know 25, not 55, and you're the newbie and you're trying to deal with that, and you don't show up with you know gray hair and three earned degrees, and <laughs> right. you're not able to say in my 30 years of pastoral leadership experience, here's how we've handled that. No, it's just like you and a Bible, and you're trying to talk your way out of something. Yes, and uh, and, and you know you can be in that setting, and 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 it can be daunting. It can be like I'm not sleeping at night. I'm not eating much. And then depending upon how well you process that and, and, and how you process it with or without your spouse, I mean, it can be a, a family overhang as well. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, you know, I, I think most pastors uh, who shepherd well are not the kind of clock in, clock out guys where when, when the office hours are done, they don't, they're not thinking about it anymore because ministry in general isn't like that. So whenever there's conflict in the church, we, we carry that because we care about the souls of, you know, of our people. And so it is the kind of thing that would keep us up at night. It is the kind of thing that would sort of factor into um, just our regular emotionality. So we need to be on guard, I think, um, you know, with our spouse and our kids when there's that thing kind of in the background, you yeah. know, that, that can be threatening just our own sense of security and our own sense of peaceability uh, in general. Yeah, and it, look, it can be tough knowing how to to calibrate those conversations with your spouse because um, on the one hand, if you have something that's heavy and weighing on you and, and maybe you're more irritable than, than yeah. you otherwise would be. And yeah. and, you know, and so well, she's wondering what's wrong with you. And, and then on the other hand, though, I mean, I've seen guys in ministry, it's like whatever goes wrong with them at church, like they go home and, and, and they amplify times three conversationally to their wife and, and then they're they're bugged out and fearful and, and, and beleaguered. And, yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it, it's, it's difficult. Yeah, I mean, you know, what I tell people, you know, my students here on, on this specific issue is, um, it, you know, there's no one size fits all. You need to know your wife well, what, you know, tempts her to insecurity or even anger or bitterness and, and what doesn't. And so there's no, this is X, what you should say, you know, this is the right amount of what you should say about what's going on, um, you know, with your spouse, you know, you know, certainly keeping secrets is not a great, you know, great thing, but if you're able to, to, uh, protect her in such a way, that's really the key is, are you burdening her in such a way that now you're unburdening yourself and putting this undue weight on her that's going to tempt her to uh, be anxious 
well, that may give you some, you know, some pause or some cause to kind of pull back a little bit more. But if your, you know, wife is built in a particular way, she's very resilient and, um, you know, she can be in, in some ways an impartial uh, counselor in some regards and give you advice and, and she doesn't take things too, you know, personally, uh, maybe you can share more with her, uh, you know, because she can carry more. Every wife is different. Every situation is different, of course, as well. So when you think about COVID-19 and uh, again, a part of the, I guess the, the, the difficulty has been the, the angularity of it all. Yeah. Like, like, you know, w- w- what are we dealing with here? We're dealing with the virus, yes, but, but, but the, the, the many different ramifications. And then, of course, it's overlaid with a political context, cultural moment that, that, that's challenging. And it's odd how these fissures kind of run together and at times overlap and at times exacerbate one another. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's been, again, I keep using this word in this conversation, but it has been a, a complicated melu for many yeah. churches, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. You used the word naughty earlier. And that's how I've, you know, tended to describe it as well. There's all these different threads. I have not been able to untangle what exactly is going on and, I, and have talked to a lot of people about, you know, um, how do we untangle this? What, what is, you know, the, the future of the church, even in the short term in, in relation to this? But there's just these multiple fracture points, if you will, or, or multiple threads. And I think COVID is just maybe the biggest one right now. But over the last, you know, several years, we, there's, you know, political issues and cultural issues that all contribute. And it just feels like the church has been handed this knot yeah. And when you pull on one, you find out, oh, it's actually tangled over here. And there, there's, it's revealing a lot about us and about our priorities. But it also is very confusing. It's, it's, it's hard to blame the pastor who's really struggling with trying to figure out what exactly is the issue and where is the, the entry door to confront this issue. Right yeah, now. and then you have pastors, many of whom are are looking at that in their local church, dealing with it, have been dealing with it. But they're entering that not, not necessarily with fresh legs. No, you that's know, exactly right. They're yes. entering it tired, and they're worried about their kid getting COVID at school or, or what you know, is going on in their family related yes. to that. And then, you know, I, I think, as I've reflected here with colleagues, uh, both about the local church and then our own just internal mindset the past couple of years, a, a part of the challenge of all this has been uh, what I refer to conversationally as solution fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in leadership, they talk about decision fatigue, of having to make decisions. Well, that, that's a part of it. But, but this is kind of different. It's like solution fatigue. Yeah. And it's not just solve these problems— COVID-related that come to you, but you have to solve or be prepared to solve like a bazillion other problems that may have come to you from it. Right. You know, and, and by that, I mean, you know, thinking about Midwest in 2020, I mean, God was kind and enrollment financially and, 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 and you know, we're, we're in a good place, but we spent a bazillion hours iterating through possibilities and scenario. And what if this happens? Yeah. And what, what, what if churches can't meet for throughout 2020? And what if giving goes down this much? Or what if we can't have on-campus classes? I mean, there's a bazillion. And all of these are like, each one of these is like a major right. issue, not just to think through, but to actually have solutions that that, that work, that, that that serve our students, our constituency. And you start laying those on. I mean, it, it, it was just, it, it's daunting. Yeah. Well, and it kind of levels, you know, to go back to the idea of you guys who've been around the block a few times, it kind of levels the playing field in that regard because while this sort of thing isn't unprecedented in history or church history, for our generations, it's pretty unprecedented. Right. I know that's you know, cliche by now. So even if you've been pastoring for 40 years, uh, you've never been through this before. Right, and, that's and, right. And with the kind of resources and, and the opportunities, you know, you know, I suppose at you know one period when this might have happened 30 or 40 years ago, your, uh, you know, your... Um, uh, a menu of solutions might have been smaller, but now we have such a, a variety of ways to approach this 
that, you know, no one's ever been through it. So it kind of, you know, levels the playing field, so to yeah. speak, because it's, it's brand new. Um, and it's, it's, it's why I think, um, I, you know, I try to encourage, you know, lay people, um, and I count myself as one of them, um, to take it as easy on our pastors as we can. But, you know, none of us, is, you know, have been through this before. Right, right. And unless you just have some derelict pastor who's, you know, you know, you know some kind of deadbeat. Right. <laughs> you know, most pastors that I know are good men trying to do right, their best. Right. And they may arrive at different decisions. This is the thing, too. They may arrive at different decisions that we may not agree with every single one. But most of the you know pastors that I know, if not all of them, are good men who love the Lord. They love their churches. And they're just trying to make the best decision with the information they have available to them. And unless we have a clear word from God, you know, that, that they're in sin or, you know, um, you know, I think maybe we can, you know, give them some grace to yeah. make, you know, some of these decisions. Yeah, I mean, extending some charity to our to our pastors, to our lo- our, our our fellow church members is, is just essential to all of this. So, again, thinking about conflict in the church, Jared, I guess COVID, but even beyond COVID, what are some words of encouragement you would give our listeners as to, as to how to deal with conflict in the local church? Yeah, I think the first thing I would say is um, I make it so I'm not a pastor anymore, so I can say this with with more authenticity than I could have when I was a pastor. I think it's our job to work as much as we can towards being a low maintenance church member. Yeah. And that means everything from taking the load off of, of our pastors in terms of what we, you know, give them to carry, the complaints we might have or constructive criticism, but also just the pursuit of personal holiness that I'm actually diligent in my own life to be faithful, that I'm trying to love my wife, you know, the best that I can, that I'm pursuing spiritual disciplines the best that I can so that I'm working towards being as low, as cheerful and as happy a church member as I can be. And if each of us sort of took that responsibility, I think we begin to see um, a lot of the potential for conflict begin to mitigate. One thing I was sharing with um, you know, my community group uh, uh, last year, last fall, uh, was that I wish I could communicate to the people in the church um, that I'm, I'm cool with them. That like yeah. you, you start that my default stance is I have nothing against you. Right. Unless there's some personal issue, you've wronged me in some way, in which case I will go to you. Right. But if not, you can just ass- I want you all to assume, despite the, you know, the default frowny face I have, <laughs> I have a bad resting face. So people, you know, they say they, you know, that I look standoffish or I look upset. I'm like, no, no, it's just I'm happy. I just how I look. I need to right. tell myself to smile, I guess. My default, I want you to assume that 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 you're cool with me, I'm cool with you. I, I I like you, I'm grateful for you, I've got nothing against you. And I think if if more of us began to cultivate that, and I'll be honest, I don't think um I would have come to that sort of pursuit, I'm not perfect at it, but to that pursuit if I hadn't been a pastor yeah. and kind of seen it from the other side and and coming out of that, how grateful I was for what I might call low ch- maintenance church members. Uh, those who were cheerful, encouraging, um, when you know when they had things go wrong, yeah, they'd ask for help, but they weren't you know they weren't complainers, they weren't critics, they really were pursuing maturity, and those are some of the most joyful you know experiences in in the pastorate. So I thought I want my pastors to think of me as a joy, not a burden, as the author of Hebrews advises us to do, that we would give them no cause for groaning. So that's what I want to do, and I think if more of us sort of Adopted. I guess what I'm saying is if more people would just be like me. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it sounds like that's what I'm saying. But that's what I have tried to adopt and embrace as my personal mission as a church member. And I wish more church members would do that, I guess. 
No, look, that is a a, a worthy ambition, and uh, and look, yeah, I guess you know, to, to summarize what you're saying is cultivate within our people an awareness that no news is good news. Yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's good, and and that's where people have to believe and trust one another enough to know that um, if there's something that's a burden, like I will appropriately bring that to you, and that's true in a local church setting, and institutional setting. We talk about that around here, being the type of people who who have the uh, the willingness to uh, to go and and to and to speak words of, of truth words of love words of grace and 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 with candor and with sincerity so i, I guess um to tease this out with one other direction as it relates to getting counsel through conflict um how do you encourage pastors like to go to people within their church you know older pastors outside of their church yeah. how do you encourage folks to handle that yeah i i think it's a good thing yeah, obviously you need to be somewhat sensitive with what kind of information you're sharing that sort of thing but I think it's always a good thing, advisable for pastors to get an outside perspective. If you're able to share with, especially if it's a brother who's in ministry uh, or someone who may have been through this particular issue or particular kind of conflict, because there's, you know, sometimes there's things that we can only, um, we can only see so far when we're in the weeds. And when you have the perspective of somebody who's outside of it and they're in, in some sense neutral, they're for you and they're for their, you know, for your church. But in, in in some regard, they're not feeling it as keenly as you do. And so they're able to give you perhaps a, um, a more reasonable or a more balanced, uh, you know, word of advice. Um, you know, there's guys that I coach that, you know, I say to them, uh, if someone came to you with your problem, they came to you for advice, whatever you say to them or whatever you would say to them, that's probably what you ought to do. And but we don't think that way when we're right, in the middle of right. it because we you know we're feeling the onslaught or we you know we're just in the weeds we're in the thicket of it so you have to almost kind of do some kind of out of body kind of um, exercise but better than that is you know brothers who um, have some wisdom and some spiritual maturity who can speak into your situation and they can do it with this, with a kind of neutrality and impartiality uh, that can be really beneficial so I would advise pastors to really take advantage actually of outside help in that regard. That's good. Hey, Jared, thank you for joining me today on Preaching and Preachers. It's uh, been a good conversation. For those listening, I am uh, thankful for your service, those who are pastoring, serving the local church, or preparing to do so. And uh, I know, we know, Jared and I both know that uh, it's been a full two years, and 2022 has started uh, not uneventfully. And uh, the challenges are real, but by God's grace, press on and uh, let the Lord be honored in your life and ministry. Thanks, Jared, for the conversation. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.